You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to this week's episode of the Scottish Films Podcast, Season 9, Episode 39. <laughs> uh, I'm John, and joined by John. How you doing? Yeah, um, just been used by um, adjusting to new life um, that we're all being forced upon, but apart from that, okay. But yeah. Hi, well, I, I, I am alright. As I said, uh, before we were on air, I was almost tempted to video call you for a change, just to see someone that wasn't part of my family. Um, <laughs> But no, I thought better of it. Yeah, I'd rather have a cameo anyway. Probably setting up an OnlyFans account then mm-hmm. to work from home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Chris uh, can't make it tonight, um, unfortunately. And we've got, but, we have, but good news is we've got a special guest who is it's Aberdeen, Chesterfield, Montrose, and current Carnoustie Panmuir player Jimmy Winter. How are you doing? Oh, good, yeah. Thanks for having me. Hi, no worries. Good to have you on. Um, should add as well, you're not just uh, a footballer, you're also a firewalker now as well. <laughs> yeah, well, managed to survive that, yeah. Um, <laughs> in, all, in all fairness, it was a, it was a really good experience. Um, one of these things that was kind of thrust upon us from the, the back on side team as initiation type thing. Um, and I didn't really think too much about it. I kind of just didn't look into it done all the fundraising and, and it wasn't until I was actually standing at the end of the the start of the walkway thinking oh, like you have to actually walk over fire now <laughs> aye as a case I kind of mind over matter <laughs> pretty much yeah, to be honest but, yeah pretty, it was do you know what I, I, actually my wife ended up joining in and doing it as well and there was um, 45 minutes to 50 minutes training before it which was absolutely fantastic I, I really enjoyed that that side of things and it was kind of all about uh, yeah, like you say, mind over matter, positive thinking, kind of, you are what you think type thing. If you're if you're constantly saying you're fed up, you're going to feel that way. Um, and it kind of just psyched you up to actually when you were doing the walk that you were kind of itching to get on with. Um, so, no, yeah. it was a good experience and, and one that if, if I was ever what, uh, the lads from the team to, to, to do it, I would definitely urge them to give it a go. You'd recommend it. Uh, so we should add in top, top of you being a footballer, obviously you are an ambassador for back on side. Um, yeah. Charity which we're going to try to raise vital funds for, especially uh, the current situation whereby, unfortunately, we've had to postpone the charity game that we had organised yeah. for this upcoming Sunday. Um, yeah. But we've still got a raffle um, going with lots of great prizes. John, you did a brilliant video. Um, I know you said you didn't feel comfortable doing it, but nine minutes long. Uh, was it as long as that? I think it was, eh? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest, I've never viewed it back. I just uh, did a quick record and put it together um, and put it on social media to try and get people to, um, you know, to put in more donations. In fact, there have been some coming over, but I've never actually viewed the video back and I don't particularly want to, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's it's good. Not, I, I was surprised when it, pop, when it popped up. I was like, oh, he's done a video. I thought maybe it was just going to be a, a video of the prize and all that, but no, fair not, fair dues to you. Um, so I get great prizes. Um, the Aberdeen signed top from this season, which is a fantastic prize. I, I wouldn't mind that myself. I'm sure you'd be the same, John. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Phil McGuire's top from... What season was it again? Uh, 2001. 1972, probably, if it's told. <laughs> 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 yeah, you're lucky there's no football. I just know you'd be in the top of Saturday. Uh, uh, <laughs> and he's going to sign that, isn't he? Um,
Hi, I'll need to get away sending up to Kirniston to um, give my forward an address. Um, we could end up sending it back to one of us at this rate, but um, who knows. Aye. But you that's it, we're working. Aye. Uh, whoever gets up, we'll get to 2021 once uh, we've managed to get all signed and everything like that. And once life's back to normal, there's the Celtic top, isn't there? Yeah, the two. The last up for all. Yeah, season. we were last looking for that to be signed by the guys who were supposed to be playing this weekend, but obviously that's not happening. Um, but. It's still a good top, a good retro top for someone to have. Aye, oh, definitely. Um, there's a tour at Celtic Park. Mm-hmm. There's also um, the games. I, I phoned Celtic and I wouldn't say a panic, you know, um, because obviously they've got uh, the advertisement on the ticket was um, a game for 2019-20. Obviously, we don't know when 2019-20 is getting back up again or if it's going to be um, finished or, or what. Um, so I phoned Celtic and they said, as long as you quote the, the number, we'll sort something out. So, and even if that has to roll into the next season. So thank you, yeah, Celtic. Yeah, because the tickets for Kamara as well, I suspect that's what they'll say. They've been really good to deal with. Again, two tickets um, for any game outside of playing against Rangers or Celtic. Um, Jamie, you doing the dishes or something in the background there? <laughs> no, no, no. Just uh, make myself comfy, lads. <laughs> I was like, I when Phil was on and his wife and uh, his his loom was no happy about they couldn't get in the kitchen to get a snack or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> well, he was sitting drinking a beer. Right, right, yeah. That's uh, what you get to do when you're the gaffer. Uh, <laughs> just remember uh, that Phil's wife is uh, Jamie's sister, so it better be nice. <laughs> Aye. <laughs> And she's scary and tall, by the way. <laughs> she's a boss. She's a real boss. Uh, she's a big boss. Eh? I was just the manager so they can get a chance at being in charge for a change. Eh? Oh, that's it. That's those... Yeah. Does <laughs> they say happy wife, happy life? Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Bye. Obviously, we've got you that the game is not taking place this weekend, but health and safety is the main, the main thing just now. And yeah. Jamie, you're obviously going to be playing on it yourself. Um, Play action for the game just now. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it was like anything else. It was a chance to catch up with boys for the past. I mean, obviously there was stuff that I've played with before, but even Paul Lawson, I played against them years ago, and you know what football's like. You always kind of cross paths with these guys, and it's always great to catch up with them. And obviously more so the fact that it was for back on side. I was excited to get through and, and be involved in something again like that. So it's, it's unfortunate circumstances, but. Like you say, that people's safety comes first, and I'm pretty sure that as soon as everything's uh, given the OK, we'll be we'll be clicking. Hopefully, arranging it for for another for another time. Yeah, yeah, I think the key message just now is even though the game isn't taking place and other things are, are maybe seen as priority just now, people's mental health that that's a, a big issue at any time, um, especially yeah. just now. So anything that can be done to help back on side in terms of raising funds is a is a great thing yeah. and fantastic for Amanda Robertson. Yeah, the donation that he made and contributing to it, so he's someone yeah. anyways. I know he's involved with a lot of things down at Liverpool in the community and stuff like that as well, but it's a yeah, it was unbelievable to be fair. I was actually speaking to Michael Gardine about it the other day. Mitch texted me saying it was unbelievable for Robbo uh, doing something like that, and he'd he said that he'd got uh, a signed Liverpool top for Terry Mason for his um, testimonial on Montrose he's just like one of the kind of guys he texts him and says look by any chance can I get a top for, for Tez's testimonial and Andy's like oh, I remember playing against him when I was at Queen's Park great lad I'll get that sort of no bother and you're like that's, that's the kind of guys you want to it's absolutely different class from him do you know what I mean 
yeah, he's always been someone that's been very well grounded, and obviously one of the reasons why we were delaying doing anything, you know, about cancelling the game, why we weren't wanting to cancel the game, was because obviously Libby Sim told us mm-hmm. in the film mentioned about um, and Graham Wilson uh, mentioned about the the funding that goes on and um, the amount that needs to be put in. Yeah. Um. So it was. When we had to phone Broadway, but I must say Broadway were so understanding about it, it just says we'll just sort it in our time. It turned out later on that day that Broadway um, announced themselves that they had to shut shop. Um, so had we not phoned yeah. them, they would have phoned us. So it's just one of these things. But we will get it back up and running um, as soon as we can, whether it's six months' time or a year's time. Um, and yeah, Jim will certainly, if you're if you're free, um, more than welcome for you to come along again. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. You'll be, you'll maybe be over 35 by the time we get the game played. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I might be in that. You were a ringer. You were a ringer. Scott Thompson and that brought in. It'll be the young guns. You might be able to get five of you and all that to come in and be running about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you'll be carrying a lot of us, so <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no. How, how sure. did you get involved with the charity in the first place? That interests. I know um, Phil talked a wee bit about it, but. You hear it from yourself. Um, to be honest, with the, uh, Mark Johnson, the general manager at Carnoustie, he's it's one of the things him and Phil obviously been big into because of the situation they'd had with a previous player at their club, St Andrews, before they came to Carnoustie. They worked together there and they had a young kid, Jack Syme, who sadly uh, took his own life. So they were well aware of the mental health stuff within football. And... Um, so Mark had always kind of constantly picked my, bra- my brains about the importance of it, even at junior level, what do you think? And, and it kind of spiralled from there that Mark got in touch with the Back On Side charity who were going to be coming down and, and giving the boys a chat genuinely about what they'll do. It was, it was Libby and Graham that were coming down. Graham was going to tell their story and get to meet the guys really and just in, in, in bit of a formal meet, meet and greet type thing. And uh, it, it actually turned out that that day... Um, they were due to come down. Sadly, one of the players' fathers passed away literally two hours before they were meant to come down. Um, and it was one of the things, it's like a kind of everything's meant for a reason type thing. And the kind of called and says, look, we're on the motorway, but we could stop and we'll, we'll rearrange it. But it was just one of the things that, no, I think it's meant to be. They came in, they'd done their, they'd done their talk. And um, kind of ever since then I think they took a wee, a wee shine to the, to the place because of obviously the sensitivity of the situation on the first meet um, so we kept in touch from there on and, and, and Libby was constantly and Graham was at me making sure guys were okay and, and, and kind of just touching base and it was after a game we played I remember we played Kerry Muir and she pulled me aside and asked um, if I'd like to come on board as an ambassador and obviously at first there was a wee bit of oof, not too sure what, what my, my job entails and it was literally just kind of to continue to spread the the good word of the charity, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel quite embarrassed at times because I've not got a, a story like Graham or, or anything like that. I'm kind of just using the connections through football to kind of spread the word, um, but and helping in any way I can. But that's basically where it's been for there, and we've constantly been in touch and just doing anything we can to help raise funds for for the charity. And, and so far, it's been great. Obviously, it's a testing time now, but uh, luckily you've got, as I say, guys like Andy Robertson. But I must say. Every donation helps. As much as Andy's been able to step in with, with his generosity, every donation helps, whether it's £5, pound, £10, pound, so you can't really take for granted the amount for the little, as I say, the little ones that, that all adds up at the end and it all goes towards a great cause. Yeah. 
think when John you interviewed Graham Wilson, he was he saying that it was about seven hundred pounds to complete the programme, is that right? Something like that. Um, that's what he told me, yeah. Okay. Um so aye. It's got a fair bit of money to it's badly needed, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean the thing is with what? the coronavirus uh, stuff, you know, I mean obviously right for um that's got to take precedent um, over pretty much everything the media just now because it's a scary thing out there. Um, it's not something we can take for granted. But I just hope that the mental health message doesn't get lost and all that because what's happening now, people are getting forced into lockdowns. That's going to have a big effect on people's mental health at a critical time, um, knowing that people can't really get to them. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the key things just now is the be kinder message that we've been talking about for a while is even more essential just now. Be kind to your neighbour, be kind to the folk that are more vulnerable, just be kind to others in terms of the situation we've spoken about with supermarkets. Just get what you need, don't stockpile and make sure everyone's alright. But, but part of my job I do, I can help kind of vulnerable people and a lot of I've been doing, I've been working from home and I've been contacting folk just to make sure you're alright, you've got supplies, there's someone looking out for you just to make sure, because you do worry about people, um, probably people at all times, but especially just now. Yeah, I think it's absolutely spot on. I think, obviously, the, the, the message that Back On Side puts out anyway is to obviously keep in touch with people and make sure you're asking if they're okay and with all due respect, we're now stuck indoors, so it's really all we've got. We've got your family around you and there's nothing else for it but to get on the phone and, and, and speak to your pals and FaceTime and all that now and, and, and keep in touch and, and make sure that people are okay. Yeah, it's, it's certainly challenging times. Uh, you mentioned the be kind message, John. Um, that that's a phrase I'll, I'll be perfectly honest right now. Is something that's a bit of a bugbear um, for the reason that Caroline Flat um, put on that message back in December about be kind and no one took a blind bit of notice from it. She then took her own life. And then all of a sudden everyone was, was spreading the be kind message. And I thought, well, it's a it's a bit late. Um, but then you know, a few weeks ago. Um, that became message pretty much went out the window because a lot of people have just become so selfish and stocking up with toilet roll and uh, paracetamol and uh, everyday needs and it's just like no I just think like actions speak louder than words and um, I mean you're right I mean be kind should be something that comes normal not um, you know it should be an everyday thing not just because um, someone used it once before they took their own life yeah I think just now as well the whole situation is a bit of a leveller because we're all in, well, we're all in a pretty much the same boat in terms of the situation. I mean, unfortunately, there's people that are having to maybe work just now that shouldn't be working. I think that's been a bit of a bugbear in terms of this whole, is it locked down, is it not locked down? And I know there was a whole thing about Boris Johnson, never actually said the word last night, and Nick Sturgeon did. There's still a bit of confusion about who's supposed to be, be out there and doing stuff. Some of it comes down to the, the government and the whole self-employed thing and all that, which you can perfectly understand why people are working thinking, well, how am I going to get money otherwise? Because I think that money's not going to go in until about a month, maybe later than a month. People have got bills to pay and different things like that, mm-hmm. etc. So, aye, massively, we're all in the same position. Let's all be nice to each other and help each other out. And hopefully, if anything good does come out of the whole thing, is that, that people are a bit more, a bit nicer to each other. And maybe as well, we all learn to appreciate what we have. Because we're in a, most of us mm-hmm. maybe are in a pretty fraught position when we're talking about contacting people and having not having that contact. We do have the likes of the phones, we can pick up the FaceTimes and different things like that, WhatsApp and different things like that. I mean, one thing in terms of WhatsApp, I've got one of the boys chats 
So I mean, we've maybe not spoken that much recently, but up until maybe a few weeks ago, since this whole thing's kicked off, the, we've been talking, the banter's been well flowing and all that, we've been all saying, oh, we need to meet up when it all when it all ends, and I think that's the thing as well, you can I mean, we lose touch with people, and this is actually helping maybe people get back in touch with folk in a adverse way. Um, so. I mean, from your point of view, Jamie, um, you've always been forced to. You know, you've all your games are cancelled, um, and you've got no training. So, how are you keeping yourself fit at this point? <laughs> the dreaded uh, one run a day that you've been allowed to give. <laughs> it's uh, it's just obviously it's no no enjoyable at all. You you go out for a run and. Unfortunately, I've got a treadmill in the house, which is no great either. You're just, it's very mentally challenging to just go out for a run. It's, you know, let's be honest, at the end of the day, well, we, we train or we get fit for a game on a Saturday, and that's hard enough doing that, making time to do that. And the fact that you're having to do it now and no really knowing when the next time you're going to have a game, it's, uh, it's definitely a challenging time, but you've just got to do it. And, and as I say, even for your own, your own health, your own mental health, get out and do that run and, and, Hopefully, um, sooner rather than later, we're back kicking the ball. That's what you're beginning to miss more than anything now. I definitely. I mean, and what about? Um, I mean, there's also been a lot of stuff um, doing the rounds about how clubs are affected. You know, Hearts um, have asked their staff to take 50% wage cut. Um, Dave Cormack Aberdeen um, presented the challenges that have been that are facing the club. Um, a lot of it serialised by the press and media down here but that's another issue um, it's, you know Tim Barton released a statement saying that their players had to take pay cuts etc um, what's uh, how does it affect uh, you know your club from what you know I mean I, I get that you're you're a player and not um, you know part of the committee mm-hmm. but you know just what do you know about what's going on in the club at the moment well to be honest with you it's not really a discussion that's, that we've had as, as far as I'm aware of Players get played to to play games, and if there's no any games getting played, then there's certainly no any questions going to be getting asked at my end. First and foremost, is, is the club's got to to be okay and and, and surviving. Um, they kind of be handing out wages to us, or or making sure we're okay. Um, obviously it's a, it's a testing time because you've got guys who are maybe depending on their finances. That's maybe a conversation that the club will have to have with these guys, but. No, like I say, you get paid to play football, and if you're not playing football, then there's, there's certainly no questions being asked from my end. Um, we're fortunate that it's a very well-run club, and, and Mark and everybody that that, um, that do their bit, um, I'll be, they'll be very well on the ball. I'm not saying that it'll not be a test in time, far from it, but I've got full confidence that there's the right people behind the scenes who will, will do everything they can, and they know that they can lean on the boys or if it's a fundraiser or whatever they need, that, that we'll do all we can to, to make sure that, that we get through it and, and we'll become better for it. Yeah. I'm actually just noticing, because um, Wraith Rovers are on our team, but there's a um, crowdfunding being set and um, they set a 50 grand target and they're at 36,000 just now, so that's pretty good. Um, although I, I see some of the messages are quite um, funny, actually. There's people leaving £30 and um, they put the name CNL kicking up at the team first game back obviously <laughs> <laughs> relating to Claude and Elka's time so but no it's good that it's it's certainly um gonna be testing times for everyone and let's I mean I'm not even interested in uh, how how they decide the seasons etc just now. I am more concerned about the welfare of all the clubs in, in Scotland that nobody goes to the wall again. 
Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously what people are going to be worrying about most. I think the longer this drags on, I think people are going to start to no loss interest, but they're going to start to really forget about last season. And, and because the, the longer this goes, the more worrying it gets. Um, and they're going to start focusing on never mind what's happened in the past. Can we just get another game started now? Because yep. you'll be fed yeah. up playing FIFA against your mates. Oh, well, to be fair, I just got told there was a, a group chat put up today on the WhatsApp. The boys had started a FIFA tournament, but I told them I'm, I'm too old for FIFA. I'm not interested in that. I came right with it. <laughs> football, football, football manager. <laughs> oh, I've got the football manager on the phone. That keeps us busy. <laughs> ah, I've got it on my phone as well. I quite like playing it. Uh, one bit of football news, though, that has come out uh, within the last 24 hours is about the pyramid system. Uh, the West Scotland Football League, so there was something announced in Greece. Yesterday, I think there was a meeting yesterday and then some stuff announced today so there was a meeting with the Lowland East of Scotland South of Scotland and West um, taking place and a few things the uh, deadlines will be extended till the Tuesday the 7th of April and clubs currently members of the Junior FA are entitled to retain membership and if so will be eligible to play in the Scottish Junior Cup um, the rules of the cup will be altered to reflect the need to ensure the league fits with our priority because obviously you know I've followed the juniors as well I'm a Talbot fan um, so obviously the junior cup just now obviously gets priority if there's a it's yeah. called off and all that it gets played the following week so that's going to change um, so interesting that the clubs are going to allow to still play in the junior cup because um, I know that was something that Talbot were very keen to continue with um, no limit to the amount of teams that will be accepted and the new league will be organised on a conference basis which is what I think most people thought um, final setup obviously dependent on numbers so a wee bit of development with that, um, though when it will actually begin is, is another question completely. So uh, with that, but we should probably move on. See, we got you on, Jamie, and talk about your career in football. Um, so going back, um, when I was younger, I was a bit of a Leeds United fan. So you obviously started off your career as a youth at Leeds. Yeah. Were you there as I? I know you kind of joined Aberdeen in two thousand and five, but were you at Leeds when they were? In the semi-finals of the Champions League as a youth player? The, my first... I joined Leeds... My first pre-season was the, the season after we got to the semi-final of the Champions League. So I'd, I'd signed in the... I think it was about the... must have been April, March-April time. And I was up back back home in Dundee watching the, the semi-final of the Champions League and then I'd started moved down in the June time. So what was it like being at Leeds around about that time just after? Obviously they were doing so well. It's, and Yeah, I mean, it's quite strange, obviously, because when I, I moved away from it when I was 15-year-old and never really probably appreciated the size of the club and the magnitude of leaving home and that at that time just kind of took it in my stride. But obviously when I look back now, I'd be petrified of my own son leaving home at that age, do you know what I mean? Um, but that was... I always remember, I've, I've joked about this a few times with my pals, because I was there for four and a half years, and when I left, they'd already been relegated to the championship, and I said to them, I'd always loved to have had a picture of the car park from day one to the day I left, because the day one <laughs> car park was full of Bentleys and Ferraris, and when I left, it was Beatles and Golfs. It was a wee bit of a back to, back to reality kind of thing. Did you ever get to train with some of the star, um, stars, the likes of um, Alan Smith and Harry Kill? I know you were a youth player, but did you ever get the opportunity at times? Yeah, yeah, well, we were fortunate quite a few times. Um, obviously, Roy Aitken and Eddie Gray were, were, well, were well involved with the first team, so 
me being the only Scottish boy that was in that uh, intake year, I was I was pretty well looked after, and first I had a, a good few run-ins and, and pre-season games, and played in a few testimonial games with um, yeah a few big ones, obviously Aaron Smith, Nicky Barnby's, Oliver Decours, that was uh, as I say, like when you're young and you're that age, you kind of just took it as it was going. You never really fully appreciated what was what was happening at the time, and. Um, but looking back, it was it was a good learning experience for us, and, and and it definitely helped us for the move up back up to, to Aberdeen. Who did you clean the boots for? Did you do all the boot boy? Yeah, it was oh, Alan Smith's boot boy. Oh, yeah. he was my favourite player. Alan Smith. He was. Uh, yeah, he was. He was the boy there. Like doesn't drink. Doesn't do anything. He uh, mad in his uh, like road bike, no, no motorbikes, but like your cross bikes. And all that used to never really had a fancy car, didn't bother. Just, just a typical Yorkshire lad. Nothing, nothing phased him. Like I say, he would, didn't really, <laughs> didn't really offer much. But he was, he was great with me. He certainly looked after me when I was down there and um, made me feel a lot, a lot easier being away from home. Certainly, I've, I've heard stories in other podcasts about uh, Christmas time and all that in terms of what folk maybe got or were hoping for to get in terms of a wee, a wee handout. Did they treat you well? Yeah, well, he was. For- I was fortunate. He was the same size about as me, and uh, he was sponsored <laughs> for Nike. So, um, now I used to always say the same. He used to ask me what size of boots I was, and I was a seven, eight, nine, or ten. I'll just take anything. <laughs> um, but he was good to me in that sense. He used to obviously give you a couple of hundred quid, and then he give you a black bag full of five or six pairs of the Nike boots at the time, which was great. Nice one. Who, who are the guys that kind of you kind of looked up to when you were there? Um, well, I, I got on really well with Nick Barnby. He came later on. Um, it was weird because we, my, my year there was a big intake of Irish lads. Um, there were seven or eight Irish lads, so they kind of got your Gary Kellys and Ian Hart's as, as great as they were with me. They kind of looked after the Irish lads and got a lot cl- closer to their lads. Yeah. Um, I, came, I became really good pals with Don Matteo because obviously he was playing for Scotland at the time. And so when I was in the 17s, 18s or 19s coming up the road to Scotland, there was a few times we played a few bounce games against the, the first team. Like we'd maybe just have to play an 11 v 11 game shape for them playing the game. I remember they were going to, it was actually the game they drew two all, was it the Pharaohs they drew two all with? Right, okay, aye. Scotland. And uh, we, we played them at uh, Auchenhowie, Murray Park Rangers, the training ground. We had a 11 v 11 the two or three days before and I think we got beaten 8-0, Lee Wilkade scored seven headers for a corner. Because <laughs> they were all like midget 17-year-olds and there was <laughs> so it was a bit false. But um, nah, so like I say, we got, I, I used to travel up with Dom and, and kind of, he looked after me as well. Um, he stayed around the corner, I didn't drive at the time, so he'd pick us up and take us to training and stuff. Who was, who was the best trainer at the club? Uh, I thought that's a hard one. Like I say, the standard was a joke. But I always kind of there's some players I watch on the TV and, and they're on the like it's kind of hard to say. Like nowadays you look back and it's all skills and Ronaldo's and that. But um, David Batty was just unbelievable for me in training. Like, there was a time when he was falling out with the manager and he got sent to train with the reserves. And again, we had to go and play an 11 v 11 on a Friday against the, the starting 11 for the Saturday. And he literally ran the show to the point where the manager had to stop training. He'd tell it to the manager, stop training, because like the young boys were just taking the mic. Aye, I wouldn't fancy a 50-50 with David Barry. <laughs> no, no. There's no many that would. <laughs> uh, 
what, what was the mood like when it when they kind of went down to championship? Did you see a kind of big change, or was it? No, well, obviously you felt that from a selfish point of view, you kind of seen it as well, this is maybe my chance to get in here, um, and like that, that you knew guys like Alan Smith and that were going to move on. They were kind of quite open with that. They were, they were in their prime. They were all going to, they were going to play in the championship, um, and then it was just um, unfortunate the way things went with the money side of things and the player that they brought in and. and just from there on in, it kind of changed. It was, it wasn't the same club. It was, it, it's hard enough going down. I, I'm not too sure if you got the same parachute payment as you get now when you leave the Premiership back to the Championship. But um, that was, it was just wasn't the same club. It was, it was such a shame. Aye, it must have been difficult as well. The fact it was pretty much a whole new squad that came in when they went down. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm not too sure. I mean, nowadays, you see, it doesn't really seem to be that big a, a deal for clubs in the Premiership to get relegated into the championship because I'm sure they get something like 50, 60 million as a parachute payment for them to come like I think the FA cover the costs for the first year and it gives them a great chance of coming right back up um, I'm not too sure that was in place because I mean, we went through having like superstars to signing guys that were championship players so uh, uh, although they were good players they were, they were, that's how they kind of struggled to get back back, back into Prem through there yeah. I think to be yeah, fair, sure any money, sorry, got, um, I was just going to say, I yeah, think but... any money that they would have had um, from parachute payments would have went straight to paying off any bills, because the debt was also massive. Possibly, yeah. I know, obviously there were stories about Pierre Rusday when maybe no, uh, been the best financially in terms of looking after the club, maybe spent a bit more than they could afford. It was a good time. I remember, I remember growing up and watching them and they were terrific, terrific team. Good players as well. That things like when you signed there, you used to get, uh, as a youth player, you would get two season tickets and you just, again, took it for granted. Like You would go and you'd, you'd be in the stands watching Leeds, Liverpool and you've got Gerrards and Kiel's and that. And, but again, because you're that young, you just thought that that was normal. Whereas nowadays... Bite your hand off to go and watch a game of that calibre now. Yeah. How did they, how did they move to Aberdeen come about then? Um, I'd actually played a reserve game for Leeds against Bolton. We played Bolton, I think. I seem to think I would remember it being a Monday night, and that played against, um, what's it? Kevin Nolan, Kevin Nolan was playing in the middle of the park for Bolton, and I think I remember aye. it being a Monday because I thought he's been on the drink at the weekend. So, I've got a chance here. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think he'd, he'd made it pretty clear early doors, like I'm not up for a, a run about the night, son. So just let's play it simple. And I remember I done no too bad, and it was coming up for Christmas time, and I came up the road for there was a, there was a chance I would have to stay back down in Leeds for Christmas it was about two days before Christmas they says look we're not going to take you with the squad get up the road get some time with the family and I went up the road <coughs> and they were playing Sunderland on Boxing Day and my phone kept ringing on the Boxing Day morning and I was again daft naive young kid come to answer that they want me to travel down do the boots or sit on the bench at Sunderland I'm up the road seeing my, my family and uh my, they phoned the house and got my dad, and my dad's like, get them phones type thing. And it was, they had accepted an offer from Aberdeen, and if, if I wanted to go up and speak to them, 
and I and I actually never went back. <laughs> I went up on the Sunday and I went with my granddad to watch Aberdeen against Arbroath in the Scottish Cup, which is funnily enough ten minutes from my house. <laughs> and uh, thought to myself, right, this is a chance to play first team football and signed and then made my debut the following Sunday and that was it. What did you think about the quality team that you were joining at that point? Because obviously Aberdeen had um, started to have a bit of a revival under Jimmy Caldwell at that point. Yeah, to be fair, obviously with me being down south, I was never really that aware of the situation in Scotland. And but when I come up and realised they were top six and they were, were actually doing really, really well. I mean, I was fortunate that I think the only reason that they even came about looking for a midfielder was because Scott Severn had got injured in the lead up to Christmas and I think they got bad news that it was going to be a couple of months. Um, so he kind of went out looking for a midfielder and and then I, and I came. But no, the, the squad was, was excellent. Obviously, you had Russell Andersons and that was the season Daz Mackey was flying. Uh, Noel Whelan was doing well. Kev McNaughton was flying as well, so no, it was it was an easy team to settle into, certainly. Yeah, what do you remember about some of your early matches? I mean, um, I don't remember much about your debut against Celtic Twins, but I remember going up to um, the Scottish Cup game against Inverness with the one-two-one, and you were unlucky not to score. Daz Mackey scored from a rebound from your shot, and I thought, um, right, yeah, looked as though we had a, a decent player in there. You, you seem to settle in really well at the start. Yeah, no, I was, again, like I say, just probably young and not really taking it in, and just, I suppose, not taking it for granted, but you kind of, one week you're playing against Bolton Reserves or whatever, and then the next week you're playing the Scottish Cup game against Inverness, and, and not really fully grasping that opportunity, like you're just going out and playing your football, but no, like, don't get us wrong, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and, and I mean, I was fortunate that... It, in that midfield, Marcus Heikinen was a massive help for me. He, uh, I think that was the season he, he left, and, and but he was outstanding. Yeah, he done a lot of he done a lot of covering for me. If I'd give the ball away, he was always tracking back, and, and it made it easier for me for that. I played probably my most games for Aberdeen from that Christmas I joined to the end of the season, and uh, like I say, it was probably me and Marcus in the team a lot, and, and he helped me massively. Yeah, and then the next season, um, you know, must have been a, a dream for you, um, being a Rangers fan, scoring against Celtic, albeit in an Aberdeen shirt. <laughs> uh, it was, um, yeah, that's probably the, the highlight of my Aberdeen and footballing career. Um, but it was, it's funny, do you know what? Everybody's got their own story of Jimmy Calder, and I was, I was just speaking to Richie Byrne about this the other day. Um, one thing about Jimmy Calder was he was always honest as the days long, and everybody thought that maybe me and him never got on and that's whatever happened, that's where I left Aberdeen. But Jimmy was always, always honest with me. And that's how you can ask for in the manager. And I remember the day before that game, he pulled me in and says, oh, look, you were close to starting. You're, you're trained really well. You're, you're looking sharp. I was close to starting you. And turned up at the game on the Sunday against Celtic and uh, Russell Anderson was meant to start and he'd had a migraine, a really bad migraine in the morning. And true to his word, he put me in and that was the first time I'd ever played sweeper in my whole career. I think it's the only time I've actually played sweeper in my whole career. So there you go. It was me, Xander Diamond, and Andy Considine, two 19-year-olds and a 18-year-old against Hartson and Zarowski. Who scored? I'd steal with that. <laughs> but that's what Jimmy was like. Jimmy had no fear. Jimmy, when you played old firm, it was a bonus for for uh, Jimmy. He, you know, you'd go. He'd rather have a go at these teams and get beat two or three than sit back and get beat one. 
So it was good for the fans in the sense that you're 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 going to have a go regardless. Yeah, Jimmy liked to um, have a tombola with these formations. You know, the, did you ever play in a two-four-four? <laughs> well, funnily enough, that season was obviously we played we played uh, Hibs second last game of the season at Easter Road, and we we needed to win to take it to the last game of the season. We were chasing them for a European spot, and we won two-one, and I played that was game that and done game? well. And then, obviously, because we were six points behind knowing that they had Rangers last game of the season, and obviously new Rangers were chasing the league, so they would beat Hibs. So we took it to three points, and I think there was something like four goals in it. We needed Rangers to batter Hibs, the way it worked out, they only won 1-0, but there was four goals in it, and we played Hearts at home last game, and I remember I, I then was benched that day because he played a 2-4-4 formation. He literally played Xander Diamond and Russell Anderson at the back, and eight attackers. Yes, <laughs> it was just, it was just wild. Let's say Hearts didn't know what had happened. It was like the, the, the manager was just shouting for the side, just get to half time. We'll deal with it at half time. I think we went in at half time two 0 and it stayed two 0 I always remember I think Derek Adams scored. Yeah, and uh, it was just unfortunate we lost uh, with a couple of goals to, to and Hibs got the European spot. Yeah, what, what was his style of coaching? All right, on you go. No, I was just going to say, I, remember, mm-hmm. I just remember Craig Gordon was outstanding that game. We keep it down to two, but uh, on you go, John. What was Jimmy Calderwood's style of coaching like in comparison to what he'd experienced at Leeds? Because obviously he'd come with the, the whole Dutch approach. Was it very different? No, not, not to be honest. It was it was quite similar. It was every, Everything was very technical. The, what, one thing about Jimmy's uh, coaching methods was it was very repetitive. You kind of knew, say, week to week what you were going to be doing. But I kind of liked as a player. Like there was, there was no hiding for the fact that on Tuesday you were going to get an absolute doing, um, and then you get your 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 Wednesday off, and then Thursday was was a technical and shape up for Saturday, and then Friday was kind of fun fives and be fun games and that, and then you played your game on the Saturday. Um, so you got Tuesday club. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> there was a good few Tuesday clubs had mainly by John Stewart, Scotty Muirhead. They were, uh, they were the, the party goers, but um, no, nah, it was good. It was obviously a great time. We enjoyed ourselves, but at that time we were winning and we were doing well, so there was no the gaffer. He used to encourage it um, because the, he, I always remember it was the first time I'd been at a club where you weren't allowed to leave. We weren't allowed to leave Petardi till six o'clock. Win, lose or draw in the players' lounge, and it was a beer and all the families together, and he never let anybody leave till six o'clock. And it was like I say, it wasn't a punishment. It was just. Everybody sticks together and then you can go and do what you're doing on your Saturday night. Because I think he'd obviously maybe seen when he come in that boys were playing the game and they were changing their way at the door. No, no, that's not how it looks. So we used uh, to go into the players' lounge and six o'clock when the boys would be all out to go. It's kind of respect then as well. You see it in the juniors, look, they kind of do that as well. And I think it's just nice if you're going to a club and they're hosting you, go for an hour, even just for a bit of hospitality. We, Talbot played Cove Rangers in the Scottish Cup and Cove Rangers they could be and then they were stay on the bus away then they stay yeah. for the after but thanks for losers and, yeah, that, so. yeah, but you enjoy your time at Aberdeen thoroughly enjoyed it uh, thoroughly enjoyed it obviously as much as uh, Leeds was a massive experience being at Aberdeen was the first time I felt like a, a footballer because obviously you were involved in the first team and then got my first house there and, and, and kind of like Started to feel like, alright, okay, this is what it's like to be a football player. You obviously had a, um, a loan spell at St Johnston before you eventually left Aberdeen and went um, back down south to Chesterfield. Um, how did that move come about? 
Um, I was actually doing pre-season at Doncaster at the time. Um, me and it was Gordon Greer, for who was a command that we went down on a kind of like a pre-season trial basis, and I got a phone call from Lee Richardson, who was the ex-Aberdeen player, his manager at Chesterfield at the time. Oh, brilliant! Another one of my heroes. And, and uh, he just said that he'd. It was Willie Miller he'd spoke to and he'd recommended me and pretty much agreed the deal over the phone and again like that I was I was I'd came back I think I'd, my, my daughter was just born I'd, I'd done some training at Doncaster and I'd came back to Dundee and if I'm being brutally honest I never even knew where Chesterfield was and I kind of just agreed that right okay go back down south and, and have a crack at it and, and that was it went down. Yeah, I mean, you certainly seem to play a lot of games, um, and you, you started off a wee bit in League One, and there was a couple of seasons in League Two. Just what was the difference in standard, um, you know, between those leagues and uh, Scottish Premier League? Um, it's hard because, I mean, <clears throat> when when we were playing even in League Two, your Milton Keynes and your Peterborough's were like your Peterborough had Gary McHale Smith. Uh, George Boyd and about Aaron McLean that was their front three and I would argue that all three of them would probably play in the top out with Old Firm they'd probably played in any team in Scotland at that time um, obviously George Boyd goes on to play for Scotland with his Gary Kill Smith Aaron McLean like ridiculous I think he moved, moved to Hull for 3 or 4 million um, the game, same with the boy at Milton Keynes Keith Andrews so the standard in that league was, was, was really really good at the time, um, so again, it was hard to say. But out with the old firm, I would on their day that the, the top, the top five or six of the, the league two could certainly compete with the majority of the team teams in SPL. Yeah, I mean, you always. Um, I mean, I, I think depending on what league you're in, uh, fans up here, you know, we don't probably see League One and League Two has been that great in in England. They obviously see Scottish mm-hmm. Premier League. Um, as being a public, they probably not watch many games, so it's just always interesting to see what standards like. But you also mentioned Lee Richardson, um, like John, one of my heroes. Um, you know, when I was growing up as an Aberdeen fan, what was he like as a manager for you? He was good. He was really good. Obviously, the fact that he was a midfield player, uh, and he signed me, so he was kind of always on my case. Um, yeah, at the time you probably think oh, here he comes again, but. It's not until you grow, grow up and you, and you understand the game that you know how how much he kind of how much he thought of you because he, he was investing that much time and his effort. Um, he was big into like so the psychological side of the game and, and like say mentally being tuned in. Um, I actually think that's what he's doing now. I think he's working for Liverpool for that like a mental. He's their mental coach. Um, ah, he's just just that, yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, but no, he, he, he was very good, and he was un, he was just unfortunate because the team he had we massively underachieved. Um, the team we had we should have we should have one hundred percent went back up to, to League One, um, and it's just unfortunate the way things landed that, that we never done that. Yeah, well, you I mean I see that you were eighth and uh, tenth in your respective seasons that you were there, um, but um, what do you think was the reason that you didn't get at least a playoff place in those two seasons? I think one of the weird things about in England is it's, it's any team that could put a run of games together, if you could win four or five games back to back, you could parachute yourself up six or seven places. And it just so happened that the teams that we were chasing at the exact same times both seasons 
Uh, we were getting to, to Easter time and we were in a no bad place to, to push for the playoffs and it just seemed that the teams about us kept winning and it put more pressure on us and we seemed to handle it less um, like that we brought we brought in a few loan players we brought Adam Rooney in actually from, from Stoke but again we had Jack Lester and Jamie Ward as our striker so Rooney was put wide right who's never a wide right you were kind of just trying to fit him in the team Um but no, nah, we definitely massively, massively underachieved with the team that we had. Like I said, Peter Levin was our captain, a uh, good pal. I mean, he used, to, he used to run the show for the middle of the park all the time, and we just, we, we, for some reason, we just couldn't go over the line two seasons in a row. And unfortunately, it cost Lee his job. Yeah, that's definitely unfortunate. Um, and you know, what was it? I mean, you played at an old-fashioned grid, uh, Saltergate, um, because obviously it was just before their new stadium. What was that um, stadium like? Um, yeah, it was obviously a bit of an eye-opener going from Pantology being your, your home stadium to that. I remember playing in there the first season and in all fairness, the pitch was always good. The surrounding area is a different story, but the pitch was always all right, so that's always I used to just focus on. Um, but I remember going, we played our first season and that it was fine and we were going away for the summer Coming back, and we used to do our, our first few days used to be on Saltergate doing all our fitness testing and that. We were Shane Nicholson, our fitness coach, and um, I remember coming back and the whole place was painted like this horrible green colour. I was like, well, couldn't really understand what was going on, but they'd actually been filming the Damned United uh, in the summer when we were off the the, oh, yeah. the, the Leeds film. So they'd done all the filming there because it was like the oldest ground. So actually one that you, you watch that film and, and all the filming was done in our dressing rooms and because it was such an old ground and everything that came with it they were able to use it for the authenticity of the movie that was a brilliant film just for um, Michael Sheen's Brian Clough was just superb in that film did you yeah. ever watch that um, being a um, former lease player <laughs> oh yeah I would say well, how do we gander at it but I was, as I say at the time I was more just Try to look for my peg in the film and Billy, Billy Brenner sitting at my peg. <laughs> See when you you left Chesterfield, you moved to the Highland League. Was that to get closer to home, or was there other offers at the time when you left Chesterfield? No, to be honest, if I'm being brutally honest, that was kind of the only option I had. I came, I came back up the road after Chesterfield, and I had a, a semi stint over in Norway playing a few games but it was nothing that kind of came of it and uh, when I came back home it was actually Phil Phil had agreed a deal to go to Fermat and called me up and asked me if I'd fancy it and uh, I was obviously like I say I didn't have much else offers or wise on the table so I'll give it a go and um, again it was another experience and one that I enjoyed to be fair it was it was an eye opener and if I'm being brutally honest that was probably the one standard of football wise that I took for granted because I thought going from where I'd played to going to the Highland League I thought I'll be kind of like junior football and I'll be that but there were some really really good players I got the run around a few times in the Highland League I think it's something I've tried to express to like friends that don't know the junior game or know the non-league game is you got a lot of these guys that have been senior teams and they're maybe playing at junior level or that level because of their jobs they maybe got well paid jobs and they actually yeah. make more from their that career off the pitch than on the pitch so yeah well, I certainly found that out a few times kind of taking it for granted I think the first couple of games I thought especially it was probably, it's the first time I'd went from 
full time football to, to set, like obviously part time and I was obviously no training full time I was just trying to kind of keep myself ticking over at the gym and that but it's not the same and you kind of take it for granted and then it was trying to chase boys about on a so you're going to you're get, get my finger out here because I'm getting the run about take you a bit of time to adapt then oh 100% yeah I think to be fair most of the Fir Martin boys must have thought who's this we've signed <laughs> he's kind of come very far but no as I say like again great club looked after me and uh yeah, no, none but none but good memories of being there. It was, it was, it probably helped me in the sense that after for Martin made my mind up that, that I just wanted to just move back home. So like after that, that was me then. I made my mind up, but, um, just to get back home and kind of set on to a normal life. What was the transition like going from full time football for a number of years to um, part time? Difficult, yeah, very difficult. I mean, it's hard. Um, you deal with a lot of rejection. You get. Um, so far thinking oh, there's a glimmer of hope and you're kind of constantly looking at teams thinking there's a wee injury there I wonder if your, your agent maybe says there's a there's a sniff of them going there and you go for everybody be thinking you're, you're magic and this that and the next thing to then as I say you're just constantly knocking on a door and nobody's answering so uh, it was it's very very challenging time and one that again I could probably look back on and think to myself, I didn't really realise how hard it was. I probably dealt with it better at the time, going through it, and it, but when I think about it, it probably scares me a little to think of what, what, what I had to go through. Um, I certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have wished it on anybody. There's nothing, it's not a nice feeling when you're, you're, you're trying to hunt for a job, and again, as I say, at a time like this is certainly, uh, it's, it's relevant, but no, it, it made us grow up fast, and it, as it probably made my mind up that, right, I just need to get a normal job now and get back into my normal life, because there's now the, all the, the boys that I was at Leeds with the, the young YTS player, they're now 34, 35 like me, maybe finished a, a longer career but now they're not really sure what they're going to do with themselves So what, see when you were at football clubs like uh, the likes of Leeds or Aberdeen or Chesterfield, did you do any kind of training or that off yeah. the pitch, as in that, I, don't, I mean, work related to try and yeah, well, look at your career after uh, football I, like, I tend to to look back and think I've not got any regrets in my career decision wise or decisions I've made through football or whatever but the one the one regret I do have is when I'm obviously because I moved to Leeds at such a young age they put me through I had to go and do exams or they put me through a college course and at the time you were just so fixated on being a football player so I kind of just picked a, a sports science coach I'll be a PE teacher if I'm not going to be a football player yeah. and they obviously they paid for that course and, and I had to do three years of every Wednesday and Monday night school and but it was just a waste of time. And that's the one regret I've got that I look back and think I could have used that time and, and used that opportunity a lot better. Um, certainly if it was my son, now looking back, I would have, even if it was a trade that you never had a, had a desire to use, and like hopefully you never had to use it, but if anything ever did happen the way it did, at least you've got a trade to turn back on or come away that well, at least at least you came out with that at the end of it. Yeah, definitely. Um I know, um, so you obviously um, have played a lot of your latter career in the juniors and leagues, but you did have a, a spell back in senior football playing with Montrose for a couple of years and you got a, a, a dream realised by getting to play at Ibrox um, against the Rangers a couple of times. Um, what was that like, first of all, for you being a, a Rangers fan? And also, what was it like coming up against Rangers at that level of football? Well, yeah, obviously... I was never fortunate enough to play on Ibrox. I've been on the bench a few times. Um, 
So it was just one of the things that I never ever thought, I, I, I thought the opportunity had passed and, and I kind of never really thought much about it. And then through circumstances, um, the whole Rangers going down thing and uh, it came it came about and it was, I actually got a double hernia operation in the summer. <clears throat> so I was praying that the fixture list were going to be kinder because I thought it'd be my luck that I had Rangers at Ibrox first game of the season and I was never ever going to be ready for it. Um, but I think it turned out it was like the October or November. So the first time I played, I was actually on the bench. It was my first game back. And, and looking back, I was probably never, ever fit. <laughs> I just bothered the life at the manager saying I was ready, I was ready. And I came off the bench for about the last 15 minutes. And uh, no, it was good. It was good like for, for my family, like my dad and all that. Obviously, he's a big Rangers man. So it, it was probably a better experience for them. Um, as of seeing where they were frustrating really because you were playing against boys I mean we we, we got beat 4-2 the first game then actually they beat us 4-2 at Montrose the second game as well but we it was 3-2 and we hit the post in like the 93rd minute and then they break, broke away and then we drew one all and 0-0 so from that perspective at that time of being a fan you were a bit frustrated because you were thinking you should be battered us you're a full time team we've got a team full of engineers and boys that work in tax offices so it was a bit strange but no it was it was a wouldn't tick off the bucket list anyway in that sense and, and um yeah good memories did you play with martin boiler mintros yeah boiler used to make all my long balls look half decent <laughs> <laughs> nice he was he was obviously up front with gary wood uh when we were at mintros and uh it's not really any surprise to see what he's how, how well he's doing. He um, he stood it like a country mile at our level. He was so sharp, so quick. Um, when I played with him, he was obviously very raw. He would he would miss a lot of chances, but naturally with the full time football and the training constantly and, and the natural development, he's, he's obviously an Australian international now and and rightly so. He's a great lad and um, nah, good on him. Good stuff. Um, and hey, uh, so you go, John. No, that's all right, Nico. No, I can't remember what I was going to say, Nico. <laughs> and then for on from Montrose, you move back to juniors by Brodie Athletic. Yeah, um, is it like that? I'd, I'd known um, Ian McKenna was the manager at the time. He brought me to Brodie. He played at for for Athletic with my dad, so I've known I'd known him for quite a, some time. And I'd not long, uh, my son had been born, and it was, I remember it was like we'd played, I think it was Anne and away on a Saturday, and then it was a Tuesday night away at Elgin, and it was just beginning, I was working in Stonehaven at the time, so I was travelling to Dundee, and it was just getting too much, it was, it was coming home, and, he, and the wee man was sleeping, and it was, it was just getting too much, and I remember going to Montrose and saying, like, I'm, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I've, um, I've done what I can type thing. And to be fair to them, the club was fantastic. They didn't stand him away and under- totally understood my reasons. And uh, and I f- luckily enough bumped into Ian McKenna and told him how he was feeling. And literally that week, it was it was agreed, and it me- meant I got to just kind of play football with my, my with a lot of the boys from from previous times playing juniors, and, and it was it was great. I could play ten minutes from my house and and not have to worry about any elgin away on a Tuesday night trips. 
Yeah, you also had five years there now. Um, you obviously then went to Kinnisty. Um Did you go there before Phil, or, was, um, or did Phil ask you to come along? No, I went there before Phil. Right. And did you recommend him to, um, to come manage the club? Well, obviously, to be fair, the, way, the, the manager before Alan McSkimmon was great, and he, he was obviously the one that convinced me to... I was comfortable at Brody and, and everything was going fine, but it was just... I was probably getting to the stage where I just had been there too long and I just needed a wee bit of a change. And um, He kind of sold it on me, like they've got a young team come and help them and like like that. I went for it, went down and met him and he, and he, and he was great. And with all due respect, we got off to probably a, a rocky start last season and kind of out of the blue, he, through work circumstances, he had to step aside. And when knowing the fact that Mark had worked with Phil previously, I kind of straight away knew that, that 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 Mark would be on the phone to Phil. Um, so I I never really had to push anything. I kind of knew <laughs> knew what was coming. So sure as fate, we're about three days later. We got the phone call from Phil to say, um, "Don't say anything, but I'll I'll see you at training tomorrow." Type thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, obviously things have worked out well. Um, looking at you, um, because we obviously spoke to Phil before, but this uh, top of the, the table um, must be frustrating that the season's now been cut short when it has, because um, a couple of games have been postponed and abandoned because of um, poor Harvey Daly's injury as well. Yeah, it's been um, it has it's been hard, and like I say, that 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 one. Harvey was just um, that's the worst I've ever seen in my whole career so it was it was just it put football a wee bit into perspective and especially as frustrating as it is just now I think we're all naturally at the start when this whole thing with games getting cancelled and all that boys are frustrated and oh, we just want to play but I think the longer this goes on boys are beginning to realise the, the, the kind of severity of, of the situation and, and it's it's now just about getting through it and I mean, it'll hopefully just mean mean that if, if whatever happens happens, if we have to play play the games to finish the league, or if it gets just kind of scrap it and we'll go again, I think it'll just hopefully make us even more determined and, and hopefully appreciate kicking a ball more um, when it does come around anyway. Mm-hmm. Aye, the difficulty is the uncertainty of not knowing when it's going to start again. Obviously, the the senior leagues have kind of taken precedent by saying it's. There's nothing going to be played before the end of April, so you think you're talking to start of May at the at best bet, um, and then people have talked about trying to get fit again, get match sharp and different things like that, and I guess as well guys will have holidays planned as well for... Yeah, well, I mean, like, like there's boys things. in our team that are meant to be getting married at the end of April that they've had to get their wedding cancelled, and um, yeah, like you say, boys have got holidays and that, and we've... We were meant to be going to Dubai for my mum's 60th, but that's had to be cancelled. But like I say, it, it's just one of these things that you've just got to kind of, when you're doing it, but as I say, the longer this goes on, the more kind of appreciative of your health and, and realising the severity of the whole situation that you just think, right, okay, all these things in life are luxury, a holiday and, and things like that. These are a luxury that we've probably took for granted, being able to jump to Spain for a week here and there. And it's, if there's anything, I hope, hope that people can kind of take from all this a wee bit of um, a wee bit of realisation of how lucky we do have it oh yeah definitely and see uh, aside from the kind of football side of things do you get involved with the coaching at all or is that something you'd like to get involved in Phil's asked me a few times and it is probably something that I, I, I would do um, 
the one thing that I have said to him, and that's, that's just the way I am, I, 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 can't, I don't think I'd be able to do the coaching as, as well as playing. I'm very much kind of all my eggs in one basket. If I'm playing, I want to just concentrate on playing. And then when when the time comes that I know that like, I, I can't offer the team any more than what I, I anything that more, um, then I certainly know that I can step in and help follow the coaching side of things with my experience in that sense. Um, there's a few times he's... he's He's a clever burger as well. He'll say to me, I ain't no bother, and then all of a sudden he's got me taking a warm-up the next night, and I'm thinking, I'll just tell him I didn't want to do <laughs> So I think he lets me say what he's saying. He's like, all right, okay, no problem. The next minute, I'm setting out cones. So he's, he's, he gets me every time with that. Uh, I'm just thinking, it's lucky I listened to Open Goal recently with Ross Wallace. Uh, he used to <laughs> listen to Dundee. He actually said the same as you. Uh, Simon Ferry asked him about or in terms of getting involved in the coaching side, and he was very much, no, I'd rather concentrate on the playing just now, and then once I've finished, I then I'd like yeah. to do coaching. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that's just... I think as well. <laughs> I think like, that's most, the way most players will be. Like, It's probably more the fact that when you t- start doing the playing and the coaching side of things, you're, you know you're coming to the end, and I'm not quite ready to, to accept that yet, so... I'll uh, I'll play as long as I can and then and then like I say when comes a day that you know right, I can't give any more than what I'm given or as I say we've got a young team and, and they're only going to push me so far there's going to be a time where these kids are going to be stepping up and, and I'll get moved on so yeah hopefully I can stay put at the club and I can do enough now to, to then earn the right to, to help with the coaching side of things See so talking about that pair actually Simon Ferry and Ross Wallace and were you kicking about playing with Emmett Dundee when you were younger? Yeah, well, Simon was at my school. He was he was a year below me at the school, and funnily enough, from the same scheme. Um, and and you know, Ross is from a different scheme in Ardbor, but me and Ross, me and Ross grew up, grew up me, Ross, and Charlie through the through the, the leagues. Uh, they two played with Dundee United Social Club, um, and I was at Dundee Saints. You had Bobby Lynn, He was at uh, Drybridge. So no, we've all kind of grew up through the through the stages and. Crossed each other's paths at some point. Uh, so we've covered the career. We want to talk about other stuff or anything else in the career. You want to talk about John? Yeah, I've just got a few, um, you no, know, quite a few questions um, for Jamie. Um, so, who were your heroes uh, growing up as um, as a kid? Uh, for me, it was Gascoigne. I think, obviously, being a, a midfielder myself. Funnily enough, kind of, I vaguely remember watching him in Italian 90 as a really, really young, young kid, and uh, I remember my dad trying like an absolute bear to get as a Lazio strip when when he'd moved to Lazio, but it was obviously something you couldn't get hands on. So, fortunately enough, we were able to watch him firsthand, and and he was just he who you, you tried to be when you're playing at the park. Everybody tried to be Gaza. So for me, it was definitely Gaza. Um, what's your favourite beer? Probably a Peroni. Good choice. Uh, the uh, best best manager you've worked under? Got to say, Phil Lover. No. <laughs> yeah, he, he says that or there's no pigs in blanket for Christmas dinner. To be fair, I'll give me his due. He makes a good Christmas dinner. Okay. Um, yeah, he does. Um, yeah, no, Phil, to be fair, Phil would be up there. Phil's great. And uh, people might think it's awkward because of the whole problem of situation, but he. Uh, You'll, you'll go a long way to find any player that's worked under Phil who, who've got a bad word to say but he's the way he does his business um, no I, I wouldn't be far off that yeah, good stuff um, 
What was the uh, best away trip in terms of uh, banter with the lads? Potential night out afterwards. I'll tell you what. Well, to be fair, every away trip on the Aberdeen bus used to be good because they be games on a Friday. They used to tell you about Jimmy Calderwood would let Jimmy Nicol take it, and you would split the two teams up, and it was just like daft wee running games or ball drills, and it worked out maybe seven, seven v seven or whatever. And what would happen would be the team that lost had to bring the beers for the bus. So, obviously, that happened every week. So then by the time it come around to, to having an away trip, if it was Kilmarnock or whatever, used to, if you'd got a win, the bus would be jumping. All the way back to Aberdeen with 118 bottles of bud on the bus, it would be magic. <laughs> Fabulous. See, always, uh, this is something. This is a weird question, right? In the back of the side, but obviously, when you do you do like trips, uh, long trips, and you go on a supporters bus and all that type of thing, folk, rightly or wrongly, folk are getting off the, the side of the, the road and maybe having a, a piss and all that. But what does uh, the football team do? Do they go to a service station or that? Well, nine times out of ten, our bus had a toilet. <laughs> oh, you were you were lucky to have a toilet. Yeah, so we were no, quite no close. We had a toilet, no, and there was even no there was actually a one that, there was one that went for no, not like that. There was one that had a bed in it, but you couldn't get in it because that was where Ryan used to be all the time. <laughs> um, I have to ask you a question from the um, Premier account. Um, what was it like having a lodger in your shed? Yeah, well, to be fair, the skipper, Ryan Roach, good pal of mine, and, but it was getting a wee bit too much. He was constantly following us about and in warm-ups. The boys were kind of becoming aware that he was, was now leaving us alone. He was beginning to just be there all the time, so I thought it would be better. I spoke to the wife and we managed to get a wee cage for him in the shed, so the boys make a laugh, a, a laugh and a joke that he, he now lives in my shed, so he constantly <laughs> texts me every now and then just asks for the Wi-Fi code so he can, he can FaceTime his mum back home, make sure she's, he's all right. <laughs> is he um, your best pal in football no well to be fair he would be one of them uh, but my boy, well, Peter Levin is a, somebody that obviously when we were at Rangers as youth players and then when I went to Aberdeen he was at Kilmarnock we've kind of grew up he's a year or so older than me and then unfortunately ended up at Chesterfield with me and we were uh, stayed next door to each other for, for the, the time that he was there and he's probably my closest pal in football in that sense but Nah, Roach is probably, he'll, he'll, he'll be really upset if I don't say that he's one of my best pals, so I better say that. Mm-hmm. Um, in England, what's the best ground that you've played at? I'm going to play on it, but I was in the squad for Leeds against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, if you want to count that. That was Ranieri's last game as Chelsea manager, so I just missed it on the... I don't know who would have been the manager after Ranieri then. Is that Mourinho? It was Mourinho, yeah. Uh, that was the last game. But beat 1-0. I always remember it. Jasper Gronke after the diving header. That's right. Um, and I, I did this to Phil, so I'm going to do the same to you. Um, name my best 11 of players that you've played with. <sighs> Dearie me. Um, goalkeeper. I'd probably have to say but to be fair Ryan Essen was one of the top, good top goalkeepers I played with he got really really under underestimated Essner he's obviously top career um, so I mean I played a couple of times with Paul I wasn't 
Scott Carson was my, my reserve goalie at Leeds. He obviously went on to have a fantastic career, but if we're talking the, as in professional goal, Ryan Essen, putting us on the spot here, right back. <laughs> Kevin McNaughton, yeah. centre half. I'll go uh, Russell Anderson, and he used to play in the reserves at Leeds a lot with Michael Dubry, and mm. he used to frighten the life of us. As a centre midfielder, I've never been so scared of a centre half coming over the top of me head on the ball. There. <laughs> and he used to scream at you for being in his road all the time. But he was obviously a top, top player. Played in Scotland uh, as well at one point. Uh, with St. Johnson. Nah, Johnson, that's right. Um, left back. Uh, Stevie Smith. Stevie Smith. Was obviously played Aberdeen as well. He was in the Scotland team. Unbelievable engine. And a right hardy. You know, you know, like a 50 50 with, with Smithy. Um, it's hard, obviously. Like, like, the amount of players, a few does Marcus Heitmans, Barry Nicholson's, Oliver Decours, Nicky Bambi's. Um, I'll, go, I'll go Barry Nick, Jamie Smith, Nicky Bambi, and I'll go. Do you know what? To be fair, one of the best footballers technically I played with was Gary Dempsey. Mm-hmm. Gary Dempsey was an unbelievably technically gifted footballer. Um, and then I'll say I'll have to throw my best pal in Peter Leaven. And then up front, I'll go. Uh, Darren Mackey and. Martin Boyle, more of a goal. Throw that in. Did that end up 11 or 12? I lost. I think I said 12. Yeah, put leaving into the Dempsey. I'll go with that. Okay. That's not bad. He's putting you on the spot. Uh, He's putting me on the spot. I've probably missed it. I'm going to have text messages of boys going after nuts saying, how have you made that? I think Phil had the same. You were saying. Uh, What about best dressing room plank? Uh, there's no many that I could repeat on here to be fair <laughs> there used to be one that the boys when we get footballers on they can't tell us the best ones <laughs> there used to be a cracker that they used to at Aberdeen when they used to tie the cup to the door um, so that there used to be like the door would close you'd get two cups of water you'd put a bit of tape that would hold the cup just above the door and the next person that was coming in the door basically was getting two cups of water over their head. And there was one time Daz Mackey had done it, and it was through the time where Kev McNaughton was kind of no signing his contract, and the club were pestering him to sign his contract. And we were, there was, so there was a wee bit of animosity between the gaffer and Kev McNaughton. So we'd done it assuming that Kev was coming out the canteen and coming into the dressing room next, and we all sat there waiting on him, and sure as fate. Jimmy Calder would burst into the dressing room first and got the full <laughs> two cups of water on his head. He wasn't the best please, let's say. <laughs> he wasn't the best please. And, uh, but he, knew, he, he kind of just stopped it. He, knew, he couldn't say much because he knew it was Dan Mackey and that was his boy anyway. And then, what about, who's your favourite band? Oh, Kings of Leon. Kings of Leon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Decent. 
Any other questions you've got, John? No, um, one thing I do, what I mentioned, because I put Jamie in the spot there, um, one of the things that we did on Twitter was ask... Um, well, you forgot Phil. Did you play with Phil? Phil, I actually made my debut for Phil coming off. I came on as a sub against Celtic. Phil got the hook and I went on. <laughs> Would he be Maybe your I... manager? Yeah, I'd have to say that. I've got to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make up for it. <laughs> I'm sure they really well cook your Christmas dinner, but you could leave them out if you wanted. <laughs> I'm already sitting here thinking, I've missed it, Jamie Wards, I've missed it, Jack Lester's. I played with our boy Felix Bastians at Chester so he was on loan for Nottingham Forest he went and played centre half in the Bundesliga and oh, I've had a nightmare to be fair Phil um, was pretty much the same You know, he, he texted me the next day saying I can't believe I've left it this guy and that guy for um, <laughs> yeah. ever, so uh, it's difficult uh, one of the things that we did on um, Twitter was um, we asked some of our first name an 11 for your team but every position um had to be a different nationality. That was really hard. Um, yeah. So, I mean, some of the Celtic fans, like um, Tony, who was once a, um, a guest on here, put in like Foster, Tierney, Reaper, Julian, Nakamura, uh, Casey Young, um, Bellamy, Maravchik, Larson, Decanio, Van Hoydon. Um Ross, from a Rangers point of view, put Charbonne, Rickson, Quella, Moore, Papach, Gascoigne, Ferguson, Gattuso, Kinchelskis, Morelis, um, Kinesia. Pretty um, decent sides, um, but then Aldo, one of my mates, um, he from a Kilmarnock point of view, he put in Bachman, O'Donnell, Pascali, Ayer, Dylan Kerr, Cocard, Eremenko, Malumbu, Tau, almost forget about him, Fernandez, and Kulabali. Again, that's not a bad side. Um, and my mate Keith, who's a Malawi fan, put in um, Gorham, Craigan, Sean Hutchison, Eric Delmo. Uh, Mugabe, the defender, I don't know who he is. Um, Sasha Church, it's Jay Brown and Mitch van der Gag, Chris Humphrey, Tommy Coyne, Scott McDonald's. So it's pretty. Um, I found the Aberdeen one really, really hard. I had um, spitting off at left back, for example, of um, almost scraping the barrel. <laughs> Have you done the toilet roll challenge, Jamie? No. Well, to be fair, Phil's young lad, my wee nephew, he'd. he'd sent us the video to do it but I've just not got the time and then I was I put it on Twitter that I was desperate for my pal Roche to do it because as I say his top he could only manage six keepy ups with a ball never mind a toilet roll so I was looking <laughs> to see how he was going to get on with that but still waiting on the video and then another one I seen was a teabag challenge volleying the teabag into the, the mug and that was the Hibs women's team started that I don't know how good man is that like. As as well, tea bags that light. <laughs> I, I was trying to um, kick a flyaway football into a bin, um, that kind of challenge, but it just kept hitting the. Um, the best I got was hitting the rim, come back out. <laughs> My five-year-old boy just laughed at me. Fair enough. <laughs> I seen a belt uh, the other day. Was it? Oh, I think I retweeted that. Sorry, was it David Gate? No. Who? Fraser Gall, Fraser Gall, don't know who he plays for though. Director of coaching at Chicago Rush Sales. Just see that, it looked good. You see, retweeted it all day. And he manages to, to flick it up and then basically back your volley it into the bin. Show off. 
I seen there was a good video of um, a, a young eight year old like kicking a ball off a fence to, and then trying to save it um, to keep up his practice. So, um, well, I suppose we're allowed out in our back garden. So I think that's as good a football we can get. I mean, I've got a set of goals in the back garden, thank goodness, that we can practice with. Otherwise, I think it might be um, need to try and look at the old Sabato and stuff. Sabato, aye. Like even as well, other sports are getting cancelled. I like the, the Aussie Rules football and BT Sport. And the first round of it get played in the weekend and then they, they canned it. That's it's on hold as well now, so there's the Olympics is now off. sport to watch. Yeah, the Olympics Aye. is now off. After, um, I think it's not the athletes are going to be fit as well. Um, so I think they were going to go ahead and then they realised, like I said, Britain were going to pull out and stuff like that. They thought, right, we'd better put it off. Yeah. I mean, we were put off by 24 hours because of Boris Johnson. I mean, how inconsiderate was that? But obviously, it was the right thing to do. Uh, anything else we want to cover? Is that, is that us? I think that's us. Um, that's us. And Jamie, from your point of view, any messages of um, that you want to pass on to people that might be listening about their mental health and just anything in general? No, obviously it's just <coughs> everybody's got to look out for each other and uh, it's a testing time for everybody and like I say, don't hesitate and back on side. Charity is there for anybody that needs it. Um, pick up the phone and they'll do the rest as, as they say and um, making that first step if you need it. It's, it's the hardest part and then, and then we'll be in the team to take good care of you. But as I say, just everybody keeps safe. That's the main thing. I've got to just look at everybody's health and, and making sure, hopefully, that when we get through all this, that we're uh, we're coming to the other side stronger for it. Oh, definitely. But we appreciate you coming on, Jamie. No, not a problem. Thank you very much for having us. And, uh, and like I say, when when the time's right, we'll get that game rearranged. And I mean, hopefully, as I say, if we've got more time, we'll maybe be able to get a few more ex-players in and, and make it a bigger deal and so it should be because hopefully by that time people will be dying to get involved back in second back with the, with the charity and, and, and the football and everything that comes with it Aye definitely Yeah we are still committed to doing the game when that will be we'll find out in due course but yeah it will definitely go ahead again just wait another thing Yeah and we'll tweet out the, the Just Given page again in terms of kind of donations for the raffle that we've got running and is it Sunday we're going to do the raffle? The day that the game are taking place? Yeah, we'll do it Sunday, probably um, Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. Um, we'll do it, but we've got £241 worth of donations so, um, so far, so um, if we could oh. get that up. I've not going to say any targets about it, um, but if anyone could donate, that would be brilliant. Yeah. Aye, definitely. They just might be well, well for... Um, they just might wait a while for the prices to come through um, because I don't think going to the post office to send them off is going to be classed as a priority, but we'll wait and see. I'm doing my best. Yeah, definitely. Right, cheers again, Jamie. Thanks. Thanks, Jamie. No problem, guys. Thanks again. Cheers, no bother. Cheers. Thank you.